Welcome to the Redeemer Central podcast. Redeemer Central is a church community in Belfast seeking to practice the way of Jesus and work for the peace and good of our city. For more information, please visit RedeemerCentral.com. Um. Brilliant. So over the last few weeks, I've been, I've been really encouraged and also inspired by the guests we've had. Um, uh, Richard Lafarn, is that how you... Larn. I butchered that last week. Larn. Richard Larn. If Richard's listening, I, um, please forgive me. Richard Larn, um, who did uh, a morning, as Stephanie interviewed, on faith and mental health. Um, it was really, really brilliant, encouraging morning. And then last week with Johnny Clark, our friend Johnny, came to talk about faith and peacemaking. And I was really just encouraged and also challenged by those guests. I suppose Richard was kind of trying to help us think about inner peace and how that integrates, or how our faith allows us to pursue inner peace and good mental health. And I suppose Johnny then last week was helping us think about how we might pursue outer peace in this world and how we might integrate our faith and allow our faith to do that. Um, so I was really, just really encouraged by that. Um, at, at Table Sunday in June, we actually talked about a few of the things that we've recently been introducing into the church community. And um, we talked a little bit about, I suppose it came up last week that Johnny was talking about, what is, how, how do we do that thing? How do we become peacemakers? How do we sustain that kind of work in the world? How, do we, how does that relate to our inner world? And how do we also serve and be the hands and feet of Jesus out of the world? And Johnny actually kind of teased it last week and he said there's a real call for activists and those who are serving to be contemplative, to be people that are tethered to prayer. And I wanted to speak a little bit about that today. And we're, um, we talked about this in June a little bit. We teased it. We talked about how that we're actually a church community that's really great at gathering, good at gathering. Use the word gather. And we're also a community that's got it going. Um, we kind of go into ministry and serve. We've got a lot of different initiatives um, that are represented around the room. And there's others, the Long Table Farm Box and Lesser Herd and One on One Tots and a million other things that we're doing. And it's, it's great. And I guess we've, as leaders over the past number of months, been thinking there's probably a little bit of something missing in between. How do we make all of that sustainable? Um, we've identified that. I'm going to put it in the middle. It's kind of called Grow. So three Gs. Look at that. Um, the Presbyterians would be proud of me. In. <laughs> Do you like that? How do we grow as, as, as Christians? Um, there's a connection, as I was saying, between our being and our doing. There's a connection, a dynamic connection between our rootedness and our scatteredness, our belovedness. And our sentness, being sent into the world. There's a connection between these things. And sometimes we've talked about this in Redeemer as the connection between intimacy and action. Two sides of the same coin. Or you might hear it taught as worship and justice. There's these d- different aspects of our faith that are so related. And some of the things we've introduced to kind of help us grow uh, as Christians. Mentoring. It'll come up there behind you. You'll see a little bit about that. Learning groups, which we're hoping to start next year. And we just relaunched our table groups as well, which are just a really brilliant, brilliant thing for us to gather in homes weekly and into relationship with one another. And when I, whenever it comes up about, the question has come up often in my, in my time in kind of ministry and even in the leadership here, well, how are we discipling people? What's our, what's our program for that? And I, I, something in me that always kind of pushes against the programmatic angle on that because I kind of feel like we're, this is it. Everything is contributing to us becoming like Jesus, including what we're doing right now. The, the gathering and, and, the, and the washing dishes on a Friday night and the serving our community and being in our homes and table groups. All of it is discipleship. It's not like we do the church thing and then we've got this other optional thing called discipleship, which we do for 12 weeks. No, the, the, our lives together collectively is a journey of discipleship, but there's always ways in which we can support that and help that, and I suppose that's what I want to talk about today. We're beginning this new teaching series today. We're jumping into it, and it's going to help us, I believe, contribute to spiritual growth, to maturity, to sustaining our faith in a modern era, but also 
helping us to become more like Jesus because we are really so passionate about Jesus and he's worthy of it all. And so our series is called Practicing the Way and it's even in our kind of how we talk about Redeemer as a church community, Practicing the Way of Jesus. The series is called Practicing the Way, nine practices that help us, help root us and deepen our experience of God as we serve our world. And actually, Sabbath, prayer, fasting, solitude, scripture, community, simplicity, generosity, and hospitality. And we're going to do all nine today. So buckle in for three hours. No. Actually, what we're going to do for the next, to be, to be honest, we're going to take four weeks on each one of these. Four weeks on Sabbath. Four weeks on etc. etc. So it's going to take us a wee while to get through these. It's not going to be back to back. We're going to give some, have some breathers in between because it is going to take us time. But over the next few years, we're going to work through these. And see how it goes and hopefully it'll help us as we seek to become more like Jesus and so today I'm going to kick off with Sabbath part one and we're going to get to that I suppose just in a moment anyone watch Popeye when they were growing up yeah so I remember that uh, spinach eating sailor um, he had the saying I am what I am when everything kind of went everything kind of went wrong he's like ah oh, I am what I am and it was like his mantra, and it's like this, I suppose, this acceptance of this is just who he is, and there's something beautiful about acceptance, um, coming into touch with who we are, but at the same time, there's also this call as well, especially in our faith, to, to change, not just to stay the same, but to kind of grow, to, to develop, to mature, to, and in the scriptures, that is a vision that is, is talked about, particularly, you know, the Apostle Paul would talk a lot about it. That the way, the mission of the church is to make disciples and the way of Jesus is about real holistic change or transformation. The word morphu in the Greek in the Old Testament, like you kind of think mighty morphin, morphin, power angel, all that kind of stuff. Morphu is about transformation. Uh, it means a real inward formation of the essential nature of a person. And so, St. Paul uses it in Galatians when he says, on, until Christ is formed in you. And he's talking about his ministry to the people. Until Christ is formed in you. So there's this idea that Jesus, that Christ himself takes shape somehow in our lives, that we become like, like Jesus, that we change. And like the kingdom, it honors our identity as, our, and as a human being, our uniqueness made in the image of God. It's not like a kind of cookie cutter homogenous, let's make everybody the same, but there's something about you that is created exactly the way God would have you to be created, and he wants you to live into that, becoming more like Christ. John Ortberg says this, in Christ we are pregnant with possibilities of spiritual growth and moral beauty so great that they cannot be described as anything less than the formation of Christ in our very lives. The idea shapes much of the New Testament, as I said. Paul, in his letter to the Romans, says, you know, we know this verse really well, Romans 12, too. Be transformed by the renewing of your minds. There's this idea at the heart of our faith about change. There's also this idea about acceptance. Come as you are. Like we've been, I mean, like John accidentally led us today. Come as you are. But then the Lord wants, to, he wants us to live fully human, um, life to the full. So that word transformed by the renewal of your minds, metamorphu or metamorphosis, the kind of idea there, you know, like the caterpillar becoming the butterfly. Um, I like to read uh, The Hungry Caterpillar to Owen, like he's one of his favorites, he loves that. And like, you know, by the end you get to the cocoon and then there's like the big butterfly on the back page. That kind of idea of transformation, that's what that metamorphu word, or that transformed by the renewal of your mind means. But here is the kicker. Here is the kicker about this, that it doesn't just happen. It doesn't just happen. We don't just wake up one day more like Jesus. And there's like a mystery to that, that we have this lifelong journey with Jesus. And we become a little bit more like him if we yield ourselves, if we surrender, like John was leading us to, as we surrender our will to the Lord. He can change us. And these nine ancient practices, these nine practices that are from the way of Jesus, I believe help us to do that. And they help us to do it by forming what's called a rule of life. Anyone heard of that term, a rule of life? It's kind of, yeah. That's a, that's a strange term for us. It's a term from the early church. It's ancient language. 
that might sound quite strange for our ears. Note that it's not rules for life. It's not 12 rules for life. It's a rule for life. And the word rule, it kind of feels like a constricting word perhaps or a constraining word, but it actually kind of means, think, when you think of that word, think of a trellis in a vineyard. Think of where like the trellis can grow, where, where a vine can grow up a trellis. That's the kind of imagery here. In the same way a vine needs a trellis to lift it off the ground so that it can bear the maximum amount of fruit and keep free of predators and diseases. We need a rule as a kind of support structure to organize our life, to, be, to abide in the vine, John 15, as Jesus imagined. And it's the same for us as, as followers of Jesus. We need like a trellis, like a support structure, a little bit like what Richard Lauren was talking about a few weeks ago. We kind of need one another. The community itself is part of this. And it helps to guard and to guide our lives into metamorphosis, into, into transformation. And we cannot do it alone. A rule of life is like a schedule, a set of practices and relational rhythms that help create space in our busy world for us to be with Jesus, become like Jesus, and do what Jesus did. Let me say that again. A rule of life is a schedule or a set of practices and relational rhythms that help create space in our busy world to be with Jesus, become like Jesus, and do what Jesus did, to live to the full, John 10, 10, to live life to the full in his kingdom, to align our passions with his and our priorities with his. And it's been said that we achieve inner peace when we're aligned with our values. And a rule of life is simply trying to achieve that for us. It's trying to guide us like a trellis would guide the vine. So these nine practices can kind of lead to this rule of life. And it's not something we necessarily write down, but it's just a way to live our lives intentionally, a way of simply slowing down, a way that can give freedom, growth, and joy. I want to read just one quote, Gavin, just the Rick, the Rick Villadis quote, which says, a rule of life is a way of intentionally ordering our every day so that we love God and others and see every component of our lives as holy. This rule doesn't mean a set of rules. It's more a, a set of practices, relationships, and commitments that are inspired by the Spirit for the sake of our wholeness in Christ. What I don't want us to kind of feel right now is, oh, this is going to be a lot of stuff to do. In a sense, yes, there is, but it's a lifelong journey. So we're not going to crack this right now. This is feeding some information and some and some opportunity to learn throughout this series so that we can begin to put this into practice. And that's going to be a lifelong thing. So don't feel the burden of this, but in a sense, feel the invitation of it. In fact, it's not that you don't have a rule of life already, because we all have one already. A kind of way of ordering our lives. It's there, whether it's written or unwritten, whether it's conscious or subconscious, whether it's wise or foolish, whether it's based on a long-term vision, or whether it is, in a sense, short-term gratification, whatever it might be, we have one. We could call it our lives, <laughs> our schedule, or just trying to survive to the weekend, say. The odds are that you have one, the way you sleep, the morning routine, the typical workday, the relationships you have, you have a budget, you have devices that you manage your life on, activities that you spend your free time on, you've got shopping habits and so much more. You just you have that. It doesn't have to be written down. It's just, it's just there. Do you know what your rule of life is? And I guess the question we can all ask ourselves is, is it giving us what we really want? Is it working? Is it, is it kind of giving us the life that Jesus wants for us? Is it, is it working? Or is it working against us? It's worth just sitting with that. Maybe take a day this week or over the next few weeks, maybe by yourself or with a partner or a friend, and just think about that. Is, 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 is our lives kind of working? Is it working? Do you know what it is? Do you know what your rule of life is? How could you articulate it? Are you making progress spiritually? Are you growing? Do you feel like you're growing? Becoming more like Jesus? Are you 
you're kind of stuck. We live by our desires, but here's the thing, and this is kind of quite transformational when I got, kind of got this. Our strongest desires are not our deepest desires. Our strongest desires are not our deepest desires because deep down, I really want to be a grounded person, a loving person, a patient person, a wise person, a peace-filled person, a joy. Like, and I believe like everybody in this room, when you really are asked about it, the kind of person you want to be, you really do, that's your deepest desire, but the strongest desires day to day sabotage it all the time, yeah? All the time, and that's just life. And it's difficult and it's hard, but that's where we need something to help us, a trellis. Consultants in the business world, and I actually heard Jim McNeese say this, I don't know if Pete's here today, but uh, a few of us, Stephanie and myself and a few others, Les, and we went to see Jim McNeese as a business consultant and did a day over in the Mac a few months ago, and he, he said this, your system is perfectly designed to give you the results you're getting. It's not that your rule of life isn't working, it's that it is working. Everything that's set up in your life is working exactly how it should be. And so the question is, how do we, kind of, how do we address that? How do we look into that? How do we become aware of that? And how do we maybe even change it? How do we change it even with the Spirit's help? Is your emotional kind of life a bit off? Are you feeling far from God at times? Are you always stressed? The stress comes and goes, but are you always stressed or given to anger or... Are you becoming a more loving person? Because that is the telos of our Christian life, to become more loving. And listen, this is a huge, huge challenge for, for me. I am not at all there. Our leadership team will tell you they are not all there. This is a journey that we as Christians are just in together. But it's a good conversation to have. And there's something about our systems at times that can be poorly designed because they kind of, they're achieving the results that they're set out to achieve, but is it really working for us? And here's the thing, it's our freedom that got us there. It's not constraint. Like we're free to kind of change this stuff. I guess a rule of life is an invitation to a different definition of freedom. It's to say, not necessarily based on self-actualization or self-help or 12 rules for life, but on the ancient wisdom of Jesus. And it's an invitation to actually embrace a set of constraints, so to speak, if you want to put it like that, that if you give yourself to them, if you surrender to them in some degree, in surrender and trust, you actually will be free. It will set you free. And so this is why we want to do practicing the way. And it's also why we're not going to blitz through it in nine weeks until Carol's by candlelight and then we're just kind of done with it and we move on to something else. It's why we're going to take a month to talk about each practice, four weeks. We're hoping that we'll finish each practice with a Q&A week and we're hoping that our table groups will be able to discuss these things and we'll take our time with it. And we hope that even individually you might go off and do additional reading. We can, we're going to provide resources for that. But that's what we want to do, to take our time just to, to, to try to begin to learn and implement some of this stuff in our lives. And all our rules of life will be different. We'll just we'll have a kind of a different takeaway. And it doesn't have to be a huge thing, but it's hopefully going to help us add a little bit more trellising to our lives as we try to become more like Jesus. So it's an invitation. The early church had two rules. A rule of faith and a rule of life. And the rule of faith bit it's like the theology bit, you know, like the statement of faith. You get that on a website. We're really great at that, in the, particularly the Protestant church. Really great at that. And I'm not so sure whether we've always been great historically about actually implementing a rule of life, which is really where transformation happens. And so that is where we're kind of going over the next while. May we not just hear about Jesus May we not just be repeatedly challenged. You know, that, that was really challenging today. That word was really challenging. That sermon was really challenging. As if the point of Christianity is to go to church and be challenged and then forget about it when we leave. When we leave. But to, to really, like Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, to put it into practice, to like embody it in a way that is life-giving. 
So kind of who's in? I'm not going to put, no, no show of hands, but that's kind of where we're going. Next week, Steph's going to be talking on Sabbath rest. Then we're going to talk about, I think, John, you're going to be preaching on Sabbath delight. And then I'm going to be talking on Sabbath worship. So we're going to sit out in this topic of Sabbath for the next month. Today, I'm going to kick us off. I'm going to try to set this up. I'm going to talk about Sabbath stop. The first place to start is Sabbath stop. You ready to go? Yeah? Okay, good. Flip through any magazine and you're going to see all these advertisements. You're going to see, I don't know, a happy couple don't know, on holiday. You're going to see somebody lounging, playing the guitar, driving a fast car, whatever it might be. You're going to see that on the magazines, even on our Instagram feeds, people walking the beach. And I suppose you could say that those media outlets are kind of selling us Sabbath. Stick with me, we're going to get to what Sabbath is. I guess Sabbath in Hebrew means Shabbat. I actually had the privilege last November to actually practice Shabbat in the home of a and his really couple in Jerusalem, and it was really powerful to kind of ask them questions about what that means for them, to go a full kind of 24 hours and from a Friday evening right through to a Saturday, and it was, a, it was quite the experience. But it literally means, Shabbat or Sabbath, literally means to stop, to cease, to be done. And the marketing comp- departments of companies all over the world, know that we have like this kind of ache for that kind of life. We just want to stop. We just want to let it all drop and just walk the beach. And I guess it's kind of like a bliss that they're selling. But here is the irony, I suppose, is that you can't actually buy Sabbath and you don't actually need to. You can't drop money on it. You just need to stop. Sounds easy, right? But you just need to stop. This ache that we have for Sabbath, Marva Dawn, who's a, a spiritual writer, a pastor, calls a Sabbath spirituality, which is a life where we are at peace with God, where we live with joy, is nothing new. It goes all the way back to Jesus' time. We know when we read the Gospels that Jesus did ministry and then he would pull away and he'd practice solitude, he'd practice Sabbath, he would practice Shabbat. He would practice rest. One of uh, Jesus' most famous invitations from Matthew, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And I actually love I really love Eugene Peterson's paraphrase of this. It's, on, it's actually on our website. It was on the screen before we gathered. Every week, are, this is what Eugene Peterson's translation says, are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me, get away with me, and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace, beautiful. If there's anything you take away, the practicing the way is that we learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. So I guess the question is, are you tired? It's like a rhetorical question that we always ask. In fact, if you're a millennial, it's like a badge of honor if you've had a bit of burnout. The word hustle, ah, the word hustle, you heard that word, hustle, just do your email at the weekend and at night and get it done, like, drives me crazy. Low-grade exhaustion is like the new normal, just feeling exhausted all the time. And there's many, many reasons for that. Some of it's body-based, physical, of course. Actually, up until very recently in human history, most people slept 10 to 11 hours a night. In the West, we sleep, it was an average of six. There's research from neuroscientists on the devastating effects of insufficient sleep on our mind and our body. I know there's a book out by Matthew Walker, I think, a scientist who's kind of talked a lot about, about that. The power of sleep is like a superpower. Just get a good night's sleep. And of course, there's seasons of life 
which Les and Maxine, you'll know being new grandparents. <laughs> if you're, let's put our hands together for Les and Maxine here, new grandparents. God bless you guys. <laughs> but you'll have witnessed in the life of Becca, Beth and I, as we have little Owen, if you're a parent in the room, Scott and Naomi, whoever it is, there he is, go on cue, hiya. There's seasons of life when we're tired, and when it's not just our bodies that are tired, but it can be not just physical, but it can be our very souls are exhausted. Um, does anyone resonate with this? It kind of feels, it's kind of hard to be a Christian. It kind of feels hard to keep your heart tender. It's more efficient to just like have the clenched fist and just get on with it, hustle. And even when we go on vacation and we catch up on sleep, there's like a psycho-spiritual exhaustion that doesn't go away. The hurry, the busyness, the frenetic pace of modern life, the noise pollution of city life, the always-on work culture, the rising cost of living, more and more people working multiple hours, multiple jobs to stay afloat. And I realize that's a very middle-class thing to say. There's reasons that people have to do that, and we have to acknowledge that. People have to survive, to have bread on the table. But our, our world is set up in a way to contribute to this, to contribute to these conditions, to make this world like Egypt, like the brick-laying culture of Egypt, the myth of scarcity, where we're like treated like machines, like a number, and we're squeezed to get every sense of efficiency out of us as workers for the system. The rising cost of living, the digital age, the phones that never stop buzzing, the alerts, the 24 news cycle. We've been talking a little bit about that in our table group recently. Like how do we control the amount of stuff in the world that's going wrong that we get in our ears and our eyes every day? And how do we manage that? And what does it do to us? There's a polarization of politics. There's radical individualism. There's an epidemic of loneliness, which is now being called the greatest health crisis of our time. It's just all too much to carry. It's all too much to carry. And I'm tired, and I'm sure you're tired, we're tired. And there's this chronic exhaustion. It's not just physical, emotional, or even medical, but it is, there is a spiritual component to this. And I believe that's what Jesus is talking about when he says, come to me all here weary, and I will give you rest. It's not just a spiritual problem because we follow Jesus who said the, the greatest commandment in all of scripture is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is to love your neighbor as yourself. As yourself. And as I said earlier, for Jesus, the telos of the Christian life is love, to become a loving person, a lover of God and a lover of neighbor. But the more exhausted we are, the more difficult it is to be a good lover, to love to bear fruit. It's difficult. And Jesus said, the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. It's a hard truth is that if love for God and obedience are two sides of the same coin as Jesus seemed to teach, it's hard to love God when you're really worn down, when you're really feeling heavy when you're tired, when you're exhausted, when you're chronically exhausted. We're more prone to wander, as the hymn would say. We're more prone to sin. Scientists tell us that a lack of rest erodes energy from our front prefrontal cortex, the part of our brain that exercises like impulse control. But secondly, it's really hard to love people too. As a general rule, tired people are not really loving people. <laughs> or it's difficult, right? Am I preaching to the choir here? Definitely some of my, most, my worst moments are, are when I'm tired, when I'm hangry, and everything just feels like you're, I don't know, survival of the fittest or something. You're just like clamoring to get through the day. It's not how it's meant to be. It's not how it's meant to be. And yet there's a real, a real acknowledgement. We should say that we live in this real world, and we have real jobs and real responsibilities. And I'm certainly not saying that we drop all of those and live in some kind of nirvana but I think as a community of Jesus followers, we should talk about this stuff, we should think about it, and we should think, can we adopt a rule of life that would be life-giving to us, that would be like a trellis for us, that we can grow and bear much fruit? 
Jesus' will for your life, for our lives, is not that we are chronically exhausted, sleep-deprived, unhappy, and living with no margin. It's the world's vision for you. It's the enemy's vision for you. It's not Jesus' vision for you. This world is designed and set up to be anti-Sabbath. There was a cliche that used to be used to justify a Sabbathless life. The, the devil never takes a day off, I think, if you ever heard that saying. But that's, we're not following the devil or the ways of this world. We're following Jesus, the Jesus that invites us into rest, the Jesus that calls himself the Lord of the Sabbath. So there's, a, I guess, a metaphor that might help us, I suppose, if you think about your phone, the bar of your phone, 100% in the morning. And then I thought it depends on what phone you got. It kind of drains throughout the day. If 100% is like full life, 0% is dead. And we usually don't rest, if we're being honest, until we, our battery is like a 20%. We're kind of in low power mode and we kind of, I got to rest now. That's what we try to do. We, we rest when we're exhausted. But what about that 20% that's missing? What about that 30% that's missing? We charge back up but we never get to 100%. We miss out on that last 30. We, we miss out on the fullness of life when we're just draining down to a level, charging back up to get through, draining down. We never are fully charged. And that's when the fruits of the Spirit can really bear fruit in our lives. It can really take a hold. When the, the good stuff comes, when, we can, when, we're, when there's wisdom, when there's insight, when there's a vision for the future, when there's grace for other people, We've been in those moments, we've been in those times when we've kind of felt like, yeah, I'm actually, this is good, and your clarity's good, and your thinking's good. Rest is really important to apprenticeship to Jesus. Because if the end goal is to become a person of love, <clears throat> we can't do that when we're chronically exhausted, so exhausted that we lose our voices when we're preaching. I'm preaching to myself today. So is there a practice, that's the question we're asking, is there a practice from the way of Jesus that might help us? That might reorientate us away from exhaustion and towards life to the full? And that word is Sabbath, that practice is Sabbath. Shabbat, stop. It can also mean to rest. It can mean to delight. And it can mean to worship, which we're going to get to in the weeks ahead. But based on that, those are the movements of Sabbath that we want to explore. Stop, rest, delight, and worship. And today we're looking at stop. Genesis 2. Hopefully it'll come up on the screen. No, maybe not. Let me read it. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. <clears throat> by the seventh day, Jesus, by the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing so that on the seventh day he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because he rested from all of the work of creating that he had done. This is right at the start of our story, right in Genesis. Notice that God Sabbathed. God stopped. God Shabbat stopped. God Sabbathed. He ceased. I don't know, I'm a type A, I've got lots, so much to do, I'm a high capacity person, God Sabbathed. I'm a doer, and I have a lot going on in my life right now, God Sabbathed. I have little kids at home and I'm starting a business, thank you so much, God Sabbathed. God the Creator stopped, and in so doing, He built a rhythm into the very fabric of creation. We work for six days and then we Sabbath. We stop for one. And it comes as no surprise that every single society in the history of world civilization has been built around a seven-day week. Even though the week is the one unit of time that's not tied to the movement of the stars. The day is tied to the Earth's 24-hour rotation. The moon The month, sorry, is tied to the moon's lunar cycle. The year is tied to the Earth's journey around the sun. But the seven-day week is not. It's, it's, it's essentially built out of God's own life rhythm, of, the, of this ancient story in Genesis. 
six days and then God rested on the seventh. There's actually been attempts to change the work week. In fact, as you know, the last time I think that was seriously attempted was 1793 in the French Revolution where they attempted to have a 10-day week to kind of increase productivity. There's more bricks to build in Egypt. And the result was that productivity plummeted. And worse, there was actually a, a series of suicides and an incredible spread of mental illness. And in a sense, our generation is trying to recreate that experiment, trying to recreate that French Revolution experiment all over again. Modern life is thrown at us, any kind of rhythm at all that works, if it just works. The smartphone, electricity, the alarm clock, the car, and more have created a world in which we can go, 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 and never stop. But God created the human body and the planet itself to live in a rhythm. The unforced rhythms of grace, we might say. There's a rhythm between the day and the night. There's a rhythm between waking and sleeping. There's a rhythm between the noise and activity of spring and summer and the quiet and dormancy of fall and winter. There's a tidal rhythm between the land and the sea that's all over the earth. Within our bodies, there's a rhythm of inhaling and exhaling. And when we lose this sense of rhythm, of pace, of back and forth, we lose something of our humanity. There's like a rhythm just baked into this world. A rhythm. We are not machines. We are not running constantly seven days a week. We have souls. We are human beings made in the image of God. And when we live without Sabbath, we go against the rhythm that God the Creator Himself built into our bodies and into the fabric of creation. Philosopher H.H. Farmer said that when you go against the grain of the universe, you get splinters. When you go against the grain of the universe, you get splinters. This is true on the negative side, but when you don't Sabbath, we suffer the consequences. We can suffer burnout and stress. We, we trash our immune systems. We get colds and viruses and brain fog and our relationships can begin to fray. We might even feel distant from God. This, this is just part of life, I guess. But when we practice Sabbath, we reap the reward. There's a brilliant... St- I'm, going to take a, I'm going to take a sip. <clears throat> In Oregon, there's a trail, a walking trail. I love this story. Historians tell a story about pioneers traveling the Oregon Trail. Winter was approaching, and the group broke into two, with half traveling seven days a week to get to the end point, to get to Oregon itself in time. The other half refused to break Sabbath. Which group do you think made it to Oregon first? The second group made it first. The group that practiced Sabbath, that only walked six days and rested, they made it to Oregon faster than the group that was just constantly walking for seven days. There's some, there's some wisdom, there's something about that that just, I don't know, it just, it should fuel imagination for the way we're designed to live. It just is what, it's, it's in creation, it's in the rhythm of creation. And more recently, a medical study on a large community of Christians, I believe it was maybe Adventists, I think, found They practice Sabbath kind of very religiously. Found that they on average are happier and live 11 years longer than the average person in this. I think it was a US study. Than the general population. They lived 11 years longer. And one doctor pointed out that if you actually add up all the time devoted to Sabbath over a life, it's about 11 years. So we kind of theorize that like for every day you Sabbath, you gain a day. It's an interesting theory of thought, I guess. But there's something about living to this rhythm. My, the point here, the six-in-one rhythm, it's like it's just built into the fabric of this creation. Just like gravity or thermodynamics or whatever it might be, there's like a, a, there's like a, I guess a rule, a law, that you can fight it all you want, but like it's only going to win. There's only one winner in that, I guess you could say. 
And I guess that's why in Scripture it's, it's commanded by God. Turn, you know, if you turn to Exodus 19, you'll see that, that, that commandment, the fourth commandment in verse 8. It says, Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall, do, shall not do any work, neither you nor your son nor your daughter nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the seventh day and made it holy. <clears throat> it's this idea, it's like the, Sab- the Sabbath isn't just like a good idea. It's actually one of the Ten Commandments. It's the longest commandment in terms of words. 37% of the Ten Commandments is in that. There's something about God's economy where this is like, it's like nearly lying or killing or stealing. Like to not keep the Sabbath is like you're going against the grain of the universe. And it's the only commandment that I think as humans, we just love to brag about breaking. You know, like the, I mean, how many people brag about how many lies they tell or whatever, but we brag about how many days in a row we've worked, you know, (laughs) how much hustling we're doing, how many emails we're processing at the weekends. I mean, if you think about it, think about it for a second. Like, there's a social status, I guess, of busyness. It kind of it points to how high up the ladder we are. This is like the culture we live in, but it's not the way of Jesus. It's not ancient wisdom. And Christians have kind of long debated about whether it's a command we should keep, whether it's just good wisdom. You know, as Christians, should we keep it? Or is it just good wisdom for us? You can get into that theologically and go down that route, but essentially, you know, when you begin to think about do we have to keep this law, it's a little bit like do we have to keep the law of thermodynamics? I mean, are we just going to like go with it? Are we going to surrender ourselves to these unforced rhythms of grace, to these, these rhythms of creation and embrace this ancient wisdom that might help us actually flourish as human beings? You can work against it or you can work for it, but it just is what it is. It's wisdom deeply rooted in our faith. Wayne Mueller says this, the Sabbath is not a burdensome requirement from some law-giving deity. You ought, you'd better, or you must. But it's a, a remembrance of a law that is firmly embedded in the fabric of nature. It's a reminder of how things really are. The rhythmic dance to which we are unavoidably belong. And Jesus said in Mark chapter 2, the Sabbath was made for people, not people for the Sabbath. And I guess he was speaking to a generation that had the opposite problem to us. There's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of rules around keeping the Sabbath at the time Jesus walked this earth. And I guess you could say first century Jews needed to hear the second line of that. You know, that the, the Sabbath was made for people, not people for the Sabbath. But I guess as Christians, we could argue that the first part we need to hear that the Sabbath was made for people, that it's, there's a gift, it's a gift. Our problem isn't that we have too many rules about Sabbath. It's just we don't, don't really have any. We don't really think about it. We, really, we don't really have it built in to our rule of life, to the way we live. Long before Sabbath is a command in the scriptures, it's a gift. It's a gift from the creator to the created. It's a gift from the creator to the created, from a generous, joyful, loving God who, as we've already said, calls himself the Lord of the Sabbath. Hence the command, remember the Sabbath. What are we remembering when we remember the Sabbath? We remember that there's a creator that created this world and that this world is good that this world is abundant, that there isn't scarcity, but there is plenty for all if we share. We remember that there's a rhythm to creation. We remember that if we don't, we, that we don't stop when we're finished because we're never finished. It's never enough. We stop when the rhythm God built into our body says stop. We remember that we're not what we do. We're not, we are not defined by what we do or produce but we are deeply loved sons and daughters of God. Many people fear stopping and what maybe comes up when you stop the emotions that might come up or what happens if I don't produce, it's less efficient, 
I'll get less done. I'll leave that stuff on the day. I'll be waiting for me. I may as well just get into it. But Sabbath is this weekly act of resistance against that. It, it's, a, it's an identity formation that I am loved. I am the beloved of God. And I am not defined by this work that is before me. We remember that our life with God is not a right, but a gift. We remember that the world is full of evil and injustice, yes, but it's also full of goodness and beauty and truth. We remember that we owe it to God to be grateful and full of joy in his world. And here is the thing about Sabbath. It's not just like a day in the week, because we can have that conversation about how we practice Sabbath. That's kind of the bit that you guys got to do, think about. Take a day in the week, yes, I really do believe that's such really good wisdom. Take a day and a week, the six and the one. But there's also a spirit of Sabbath that can go with us each and every day. Because Sabbath as an idea is more than just a day. It's a way of being in the world. The practice of Sabbath is a day of rest by which we cultivate a spirit of restfulness in all of life where we can go from a, a sh- we can experience a shift from restlessness to restfulness, from hurry to peace, from busyness to margin, from burnout to sustainable fa- pace, from noise to quiet, from distraction to clarity, from isolation to solitude, from crowds to community, from grasping to gratitude, from clenching to unclenching. Do you see it? Sabbath isn't just an inspirational idea, but it's a, it's a practice. As James Clear, the, the habit guy, he kind of wrote the book on Atomic Habits, I think maybe is the name of the book. He calls it a keystone habit. A keystone habit out of which lots of other habits flow. Taking one day to rest, to practice Sabbath in your life is a keystone habit. Like all of the practices, it's a means to an end, but the end isn't that I practice Sabbath, tick, It's not even to be well-rested or happy. It's to participate in the love and the life of God himself. Because God Sabbathed. He is the Lord of the Sabbath. And we center our entire lives around him and live more deeply in him when we surrender to this rhythm. It's not just a day, but it can be a week-long way of living. The famous biblical scholar, Old Testament scholar, Walter Brueggemann, says this, that people who Sabbath live all seven days differently. It's the best way to sum up what I've just said, I think. People who Sabbath live all seven days differently. It's a long-term vision. It's a long-term play. It's about the long-term time. Looking forward to the cumulative effect of being a person who lives in this rhythm. That's why Sabbath is on day seven, not day three or four. It's not a break in the middle of the week that we can get back to real business, but it's like the apex of the week. It's, the, it's what the entire week is all about. You don't have to live a Sabbath, a Sabbathless life of nonstop exhaustion. You can write where you are, no matter what life stage, you can adopt this practice in a way that works for you in your life. You can, by the Spirit of God, think about how you can integrate this practice into your life. And you don't have to buy it. You don't have to sign up to a subscription. You don't have to order it or earn it. You just have to stop. I love the rule of Benedict that says this. I'll close with this before we come to the table. As we go forward in our, in our life and our faith, our hearts will expand And we will run the way of God's commandments with unspeakable sweetness of love. That's kind of the hope, the telos to become loving people rooted in God. That we can be sustained to do the good work in this world, to bring peace and justice, to love God and love our neighbor. I'd love to invite you to stand.
We're going to come to the table of, of grace, the table of Jesus, the bread and the wine, which is the invitation to the Lord of the Sabbath, to commune with Jesus, the one who gives us life, the one who has delivered us from death, the one who gives us rest eternal, the one who is present with us, the one in whom we are deeply rooted. And Jesse and Riona are going to help serve the, the gluten-free bread and the juice, of course, the grape juice. We come, I really want to just in, invite you not to think about, I suppose, the ways in which you can kind of implement Sabbath. How am I going to do this? And like you're into spreadsheet mode or you're into like, how am I going to affect this? And I want you to come with an open hand, as John led us at the beginning, an open hand of receiving and honesty before the Lord. Just to say, Lord, I'm tired. I'm exhausted. I need you. Would you come and bring your rest? And I really believe when we come, as we said at the beginning, come those who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And at this table, we can experience the grace of Jesus and the rest of Jesus. When we, when we taste of the bread and the wine, which reminds us that our identities are that we are beloved that we are not identified by how much we produce, by what we do, but that we are beloved sons and daughters. So please do come with the invitation to invite the Lord to lift our burdens, to bless us with his rest, to exhale at the foot of the cross, to be honest before the Lord and say, Lord, I need you. Come and give me rest. Bring your rest. Nurture my soul today. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you today for, for who you are in Jesus and for the, the beauty of the gospel that is to bring, to bring a rest to the weariness that this world can inflict upon our souls. And we pray, Lord, that you would lift our souls, that you would nurture, that you would draw us under your tender wing today and that you would breathe life on us and remind us of our belovedness, that it is rooted completely in you as sons and daughters. May you nourish us. May you strengthen us. May you bring your lightness and your peace. In Jesus' name, amen.